Good morning, all. Great to see you. I'm Greg Paris. Welcome to Union Chapel this morning. I'm glad you've chosen to worship with us today. It's, this is the day the Lord has made. We rejoice and we're glad in it. God is good and he's faithful and he will meet you today at the point of your need as you reach out to him. Um, have I told you recently how much I love you? Have I mentioned that? I want to say I really love you. It's such a wonderful blessing in my life to uh, be your pastor you are a great church. Uh, you're relatively easy to pastor, best I can tell. So thanks for being as good as, you know, possible, given the circumstances. <laughs> but I do love you, and uh, I'm just so honored to uh, be with you here. I want to give you an update on my wife, Beth. Uh, some of you know that Beth was diagnosed with cancer, uh, breast cancer, in the spring this year. She's had surgery and is now in the middle of her chemotherapy protocol. She's had two infusions of chemotherapy. Uh, both uh, resulted in her being hospitalized because it drove her white count number very low, and she got an infection both times. Uh, this last time, her blood count went to zero, which is not good, so... so um, uh, you can pray for her. She'll, she'll get another treatment on Thursday this week. So this Thursday she'll get uh, another jolt. And, um, and so we'll be monitoring her progress through that. So thank you so much for your support and prayer. We genuinely feel your prayers and your love. It really matters. As you know, you've uh, been in a situation, I'm sure, when you needed and relied on the prayers of others. And you, you feel God's uplifting grace when you're in the midst of that. So thank you for your support. We, we appreciate it so much. And Beth sends her love, love to you. I don't let her out much um, because she's a little susceptible, you know, right now. So I keep her quarantined and um, keep, her, keep her under wraps best I can. So thank you for your, for your love for her. Today we are going to finish this series we've been on, Understanding Our Purpose, Living on Purpose, Living with Purpose, it is so important, wouldn't you agree, to be able to answer the question, why on earth am I here? And we've learned that God has called all of us, every one of us, to five basic purposes, five assignments in life, five callings in life. And those five things are, first of all, to be loved by God. Uh, the first thing is not what you do, it is, it is what you receive. It's God's love for you. And that changes everything. Once you receive God's love, it becomes the bedrock, the foundation for everything else in your life. And so we are called to be loved by God. Then second of all, we are called to belong, belong to his family. God made you to belong to his family. God created you so that he could enjoin you in his family. It's called the church. And he wants you to be, belong, be a person who belongs to this wonderful community of faith. And then the third thing we learned about our purpose, all of us are called to become. We're called to become like Jesus. Day by day, step by step, uh, progress, point by progress, point, we find ourselves shaped into the image and likeness of Jesus. And it'll take a lifetime because most of us don't look much like him. And so we have to be shaped. And God's determined to help us to become more like him. And then last week, Pastor Jeff reminded us that we are called to bless others and that we can give our lives in meaningful, meaningful service to others. And that fulfills one of the primary purposes of God. Now, today we come to this last and fifth 
purpose for our lives, and that is that we are called to be sent, called to be sent into the world because God wants more people in his family. He wants to include more people in his family. The reason God created every human being in the world is so God could love that person and that person can love God back. And so we want to include as many people as we can in this wonderful family. So today we've taken as our text from the New Testament book of Romans, Romans chapter 10. I'm going to read for us verses 13 through 15. Our custom here at Union Chapel is to stand to honor God's word. So as you're able, would you please, we'll project the words if you don't have your scripture in your hand today. And verse 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can someone preach, anyone preach, unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, if you have beautiful feet, go ahead and sit down. All right, there you are. How beautiful. Okay, well, you tell Okay, fake it till you make it. Sit down. I was thinking the same thing. Nobody's called my feet beautiful for a long time. Wow. So we are called to be sent. On your outline, you'll see a couple of bullet points at the top. Just look at that first one. God is gathering a family. He's gathering a family. God made you to love you. You were made by God for God so he could love you. And he wants you to be in the family. This is the, this is the magnanimous love of God who wants to gather everyone into his family. And so he, he wants you to love and live with him for, forever. Ephesians 1.5, his unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family. It gives him great pleasure to do this. So it's all about his family. Now, think about this. We're all created by God. We are all loved by God. But we are not all in God's family. Let me say it again. We're created by God. We're loved by God. But not everyone is in God's family. And the reason for that is because you have to choose to be part of God's family. It has to be your volition. You have to choose to receive God's love. You have to choose to be accepted into God's family. God will not force you into his family. He will not coerce you into his family. It's an important distinction. You know, there are some religions in the world that will force you into the family, you know, at knife point or gunpoint, but not, not the gospel of Jesus. You see, our idea in the Christian faith is that if it's forced, it's not faith. And so may the best idea win. And so here's the good news that God offers us in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he, being rich in his love for us, gave his own life so that we might be restored in relationship with God. And that's the idea. So if you like that idea, if you think that's a winsome idea, then come on into the family. God loves you and wants to include you. And so that's the message that we have been given. And so Romans 10 reminds us, our text today, anyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. But look, how can anyone call on the Lord if, if no one tells them how to do that? And how can you be told if no one preaches it to you? And how can anyone preach it to you unless they've been sent to do so? And all those questions are rhetorical, meaning that obviously someone's got to go. And someone's got to preach. And someone's got to be sent so that this message can be disseminated to everyone that God wants to include in his family. 
So the second bullet point is right there on your outline. My fifth purpose, my fifth calling in life is this. I'm sent to bring others into God's family. Sent to bring others into the family. Listen, if a person had, a, had the cure for AIDS or the cure for cancer and they didn't share it with the world, that'd be horrible, right? I mean, that's evil. They should be arrested and thrown in prison. They're not fit to live in a free society. If they knew the cure for these horrible diseases and they didn't share it. But listen, God has given us an even stronger message than that, if you can imagine. See, the message of hope found in the gospel is a message that allows us to be forgiven of our past, to be given a purpose for living our lives, and a home in heaven for eternity. That's the message that God has given us, this wonderful... The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, look, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And so we embrace this wonderful message as the most hopeful message in the world. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, Through Christ, God made peace between us and himself. That's the means by which we are restored with God through Jesus Christ and his atoning work on Calvary, his sacrificial death, has allowed us to be at peace with God. Then God gave us the work of bringing others into peace with him as well. One day Jesus is walking down the street. Guy comes up to him and he says, Lord, uh, what are the two most important Bible verses? This, this is the rich young ruler. You know, he's young and he's got it all together and he's already accumulated his uh, fortune. And he says to Jesus, you know, I've been doing pretty well. So I was just wondering, what are the two, two biggies? And Jesus said, well, I can summarize it for you. You know, here, here are the crib notes for the whole Bible. I can, I can give you the summary in two sentences. And he said it's this. Number one, love God with all of your heart. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all of your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in that, we find the hope we need. In other words, God is saying to us, look, stop your war with God. End your conflict with God. Be reconciled with God. Make peace with God. And once you make peace with God, then you can begin to live at peace with others. That's the hope that we find in the gospel. You're learning as you walk with Jesus that life isn't about accomplishments, is it? Not really. It's, it's, not, it's not about achievements. Not really. Life's, life's not about acquisitions. It's not about any of those things. Life is about relationships. Your relationship with God. Your relationship with others. That's it. See, there are only two things that are going to last forever. Think about that. Two things are going to last forever. One is truth. Jesus said, my word will never pass away. Truth will last forever. And the other thing that lasts forever is people. Truth and people. That's it. The only two things that are going to last forever. And so if you're investing your lives in those things, your life will matter forever. John 20, verse 21, here's what Jesus said. He said, I'm, I, I leave you peace. He's, he's saying to the disciples, you and me, he said, peace. Peace, everybody. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. There it is. Whoop, there it is. <laughs> Called to be sent. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Now, let me, just, let me just say, and I hope this isn't too self-aggrandizing, there are very few churches that I'm aware of that take this verse, John 20, 21, as seriously as we do here at Union Chapel. Because over the years, we have literally sent thousands of people all over the world to make a difference for Jesus' sake. 
Every year we send hundreds of people out into the streets of our own community to do various activities of service and help through, through Serve and through Community Service Day and other smaller projects that are ongoing all the time in the life of our church and through the members of our church. And it's a wonderful expression of God's love to our own community. Literally, there, there have been hundreds of people who have traveled to Kazakhstan, Central Asia, where we've had initiatives for many years. 400 people from our own church have traveled to Kazakhstan, short-term or long-term. It's an amazing thing. We're serious about being sent. We believe in that. Dozens and dozens of people who have passed through our church are now in full-time vocational Christian service. I, I meet these people, and there are people that we know about and people we don't even know about. Oftentimes, it's students from Ball State or Anderson or Taylor, someplace like that, and they come through as students, and they sit in the church for months or maybe a, a couple of years, and the influence of our, of our ethos here, our philosophical base to send people and to see the world as our mission field, they get that. They catch it. They, they, they embrace that worldview and that perspective, and they find themselves going out in the world and serving Christ full-time. It's, it's a remarkable thing, and, I th- and, and I'm excited about heaven to find out just how many people have been affected that way. Let me give you some good news. I'll give you a good report. Uh, some weeks ago, I introduced to you Ryan Miller. Ryan is a church planter whose, uh, whose goal is to plant a church in Marietta, Ohio called Pathway Church. We introduced Ryan and his wife to us, and Union Chapel, as you know, a year ago, we announced that we have a desire to plant 10 new churches in the next 10 years. That's our stated goal. We're doing it through our REACH campaign and other initiatives. And Ryan was going to be the first guy to plant a church. I want to give you a report. They launched their first service in Marietta last weekend. We, we gave... We gave Ryan Miller and Pathway Church $30,000 to help, help them uh, ramp up, build a foundation for this church. We sent some of our guys, Robin Wood, who's, who's a, a contract employee with us here at Union Chapel, helping with this church planning piece. Uh, he's been corresponding with Ryan and collaborating with him. We sent some of our guys to help set up the lighting and sound technology. We helped them secure the building that they're going to be worshiping in in Marietta, Ohio. All of that We've been intricately uh, involved in that process. So they launched their first worship service last week. Now listen, here's the report. 238 people attended the first worship service. That is just, that is just tremendous. That is, that is just great. If you know church uh, numbers, you know that the 200 barrier is a, kind of a big deal. And when you, just, when you blow over 200 on your first week, it's, uh, it's a remarkable accomplishment. I spoke with Ryan this past week, and, and not only were there 238 people in church, but eight people made first-time decisions for Jesus in that first service. Isn't that great? That's just fantastic. It's wonderful. I'm so, so happy, so happy to, uh, to report that to you. Imagine yourself in heaven someday, and God walks up to you and says, hey, how'd you do with those five purposes? You know, those really were my purposes for your life. How did you do? Did you receive my love? And you say, oh, yes, thank you so much. I'm so blessed that you love me. Thank you. I'm here because you love me. And Jesus said, well, did you you belong? I mean, did you hook up with with my my family, my, 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 my church? And did you connect and enjoy the fellowship and the 
collegial walking together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I did. I, I signed up. I belonged. You know, I connected with folks. I did that. Thank you for helping me do that. And did you become more like Jesus day by day, step by step through your life? Well, you know, I did. I, you know, it was two steps back and one step forward a lot of the times. But, yeah, by the end of my life, I, w- I have to say I was more like Jesus than when I began. God would say, good for you. And he said, were you a blessing to people? You know, that was my fourth purpose for your life. Did you bless others? Well, I tried to, you know, best I could as I went along. Maybe not as much as I'd like, but I was trying. And then finally, fifthly, you know, the first, fifth purpose for your life is, did you go? You know, I, I wanted to send you out there to include more people in the family. Did you get out there in your sphere of influence and encourage people to join the family and come to the faith? Well, now, let me tell you how this is going to end for about 90% of people who know Jesus in heaven. What we know from surveys that are taken in today's world and have for many, many years is that people who know Jesus and have a meaningful relationship with Jesus, only about 2% of us ever tell anyone else about Jesus. So that 98% of us never say anything meaningful to another person about Jesus. And so when we get to heaven and God's saying, you know, how'd you do with that piece? 98% of us are going to go, well, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, Lord, but uh, I, was, I, was really good at, I was really good at receiving all those benefits that you had for me, but not, not quite as good at the giving part. <laughs> and I know you, I know you sent, sent us all to go and make disciples of people all over the world, but, you know, I just never really, you know, I got busy and, you know, life happens, stuff happens, and. This didn't ever really get to that. John 15, 16, I'll move on so I know it's uncomfortable. John 15, 16 said, you did not choose me, Jesus said, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit and that that fruit might last, it might remain. And so God calls us to a productive, fruitful, fulfilling, successful life. Be fruitful, he said. Now let me just be honest with you. Let me just say this out loud. I've been saying it all weekend for us and we, you know, it's therapeutic maybe for us. So I'll say the words to state the obvious for all of us. Most of what we do, you and I, most of what we do in life isn't going to last. In fact, most of the stuff we do in our lives, nobody cares about. Did you know what movies I went to this summer? What books I read? Where I went to on vacation? No one gives a flip about any of that. Because most of the stuff we do in our lives doesn't matter. It won't last. I mean, five years from now, people won't know much about you. Ten years from now, 50, like 50 years from now, no one will even know we were here. 50 years from now, someone will say your name and folks will go, hmm. And so the challenge in life is this. Why not invest our lives in things that will last? In things that really matter in the long run? Why not, why not go, go for that? Can you imagine you get to heaven someday and someone walks up to you and say, thanks, thanks a lot. What do you mean? I'm not sure I know you. Well, no, we've never met, but thank you because I happen to know 
that you were instrumental in helping plant that church in Marietta, Ohio back in 2016. And that church, that church grew, and in time, that church planted eight or ten new churches. And the, and the ninth church that the church in Marietta planted was a church in my town, and I heard the gospel, I heard the good news, and I decided to join a family. And I'm in heaven today because you helped that church in Marietta down through the generations. And I'm here in heaven because you made a difference. That's going to happen, you know. That's going to happen. And that's what you want. No one's going to walk up to you in heaven and say to you, hey, you know, great exercise program down there. It's just not going to happen. That was really cool, you know, lifting those weights. It was awesome. (laughs) You sure were a good cook. Man, you could make some meatballs. Loved them. See? I don't think it's going to matter all that much. That's not bad. It's not bad to take care of your health. It's not bad to invest in hobbies and things you enjoy and things you're good at doing. It's all good. But there are only a couple of things that last forever. The truth and people. And so you want to invest in that. William James says the greatest use of your life is to invest it in that which outlasts it. There th- see, there are three dimensions to this going and, and being sent. One is personal. Another dimension is local. Another is global. The personal connection, this is the dimension where we all have influence with people in our families and friends and classmates and business associates and neighbors. These are the folks that we run into all of the time. And God simply says, look, I'm sending you to them. I'm sending you because you're in the family. Anyone who's in the family now is sent to help others join the family. And so I'm sending you into their lives. This is your personal sphere of influence. And then there's the local influence. This is ministry we do through our church and through our fellowship groups and our, and our small groups to various activities around the city to help people in need. And then there's the global dimension of it where we go to the ends of the earth places like Kazakhstan and we make a difference in people's lives way out there Jesus gave us a model for what to do think about the life of Jesus one thing that Jesus did was he planted churches think about this he was into church planting he said I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it Jesus built a church because he knew that people fundamentally and essentially listen that people are essentially spiritually empty there's a, there's a gap, there's a crevice, there's a, there's a hole in people's lives that can only be filled by a meaningful relationship with God. And so they're spiritually empty. And what happens when people are, don't have any peace in their heart with God is they don't have peace with other people. So we have all this contention in the world and all of this conflict and all of this, this rage and this horror and this evil and this terrorism and all, all the rest of it. And people are divided by all kinds of weird things. You know, they're divided by race and divided by social status and they're divided by, by, by their religion and they're divided by all kinds of stuff. And the reason that we allow this to happen in us is because we don't have peace. People are lacking peace and so Jesus said, look, you've got to plant churches, churches that are life-giving and hope-giving because of the reconciliation message that comes through the vital life-giving local church is a, a message of peace with God. When there's peace with God, you can have peace with others. Love God, love your neighbor. 
And so this opportunity is before us. And we see the, see the model that Jesus made to plant churches. And that's exactly what we're doing. And then another thing Jesus did was he prepared leaders. He equipped leaders. Now follow me on this. He fed 5,000. He sent out 70. He discipled 12. He mentored three, Peter, James, and John, the inner circle. And this was Jesus' style. He was constantly equipping people in varying levels of intimacy and preparing them for the leadership that God was giving him. And so you ask yourself, am I involved in leadership development? And many of you are. And we are here. This is what we do. And we're excited about that. Another thing that Jesus did was he ministered to the poor. He assisted the poor. Now, let me ask you this question. Does Jesus have any favorites? You know, when you hear that, you go, oh, like Jesus couldn't play favorites, could he? Actually, he, he does. His first sermon, he said this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Isn't that interesting? So his first sermon and all of his subsequent activities revealed the fact that he plays favorites. Jesus prefers the poor. He loves people who are, who are poor. He loves people in poverty. They're his favorites. And this is what he said to folks like us who may not be in poverty. He says to you, if you will assist the poor, I will assist you. So we've learned this at Union Chapel over the years, that when you give to those that are important to Jesus, Jesus will take care of you. And we follow the model of Jesus to minister to the poor. Then, then Jesus also ministered to the sick. He went about preaching, teaching, healing. Preaching, sharing the good news, teaching, educating people, praying for the sick. He was doing health care. This is very important to Jesus. The well-being of people in their physical body. You may not realize this, but listen to this carefully. Every nation in the world, every nation in the world that has a hospital or a university, those institutions were founded by Christians. Now, that shouldn't come as a surprise to you. The whole educational impulse, the whole healing impulse in the world is a Christian virtue. It's a Christian ethic. And it comes straight from Jesus, who went about preaching, teaching, healing. So just here in central Indiana, we have hospitals named St. Mary's, St. Mark, St. Vincent, St. Francis, Methodist Hospital, world-class hospital in Indianapolis. All founded by Christians. All of the original universities in the United States were founded by Christians. All the Ivy League schools were founded by Christian people, devout Christians. It's fascinating to me that, that we've become so sophisticated and so evolved and so educated now that the Ivy League schools now can turn their back on Christianity and go, oh, well, we're, we're much too sophisticated to believe that, that nonsense. Can't connect the dots. Because apparently you can be really smart and really just stupid at the same time. Oh, yeah, I've seen it happen. <laughs> it's very possible. In fact, it happens a lot. <laughs> so what do we do? What do we do to make disciples? There's a few things I just want to point out will be done. Number one, it's on your outline. You can pray. Pray that people will say yes to God, that they'll say yes 
to his call to be sent. Jesus said, there's so many people to harvest, but only a few workers. Pray the Lord of the harvest, who owns the harvest, that he'll send workers into the field. Let me ask you this question. Does anyone deserve to hear the gospel twice before everyone has had a chance to hear it one time? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Everyone deserves to hear it. Everyone deserves to hear this wonderful news. And it's our job to go and offer the news so we can pray. Then number two, we can give. We can give to help others go. Yeah, you may not be in a situation right now where you can go yourself. Maybe you've got little kids at home or maybe you're, you're old and you've got a limp. You can't climb the mountain anymore. But you, can, but you can give. You can pray and you can give. And that will make a difference. Third John 1, we must support believers who go. So we can work together with them spreading the truth. Yeah. Matthew 10, 8 says, freely you've received, now freely give. So we hear it. And here's the third thing. You can write this down. Number three, step out. You can step out in faith. What does it mean to step out? It means volunteer. It means next week when we have a volunteer open house after every service, you go check it out. You ask the question, how can I serve? How can I be involved in ministry? How can I volunteer? See, God's army, God's mission is 100% volunteer. God doesn't conscript anyone into his army. He doesn't draft anyone into his army. It's all volunteer. I'm here voluntarily this morning. I don't know about you. You're all here as volunteers. You don't have to be here. I don't have to be here. Let me tell you why God uses me in my life. I'll just tell you. It's because years ago I volunteered. And every day of my life now I have to volunteer. I choose to volunteer. In fact, I find myself thinking these thoughts often. I've thought, thought about this all week, that many mornings I wake up, and before I get out of bed, I hear myself going, I wonder what God's going to do today. I know God's going to be up to something in close proximity to where I am. I know he's going to bless some, somebody. I know he's going to do something really cool <laughs> in some circumstances or somebody's life today close to where I am. And I find myself thinking about that, and my prayer then before my feet hit the ground is, Lord, help me to get in on what you're doing. I know you're going to be doing something. Help me to be part of it, even if it's just a little, little piece of it. Help me to touch what you're doing. That's, that's what makes it work, friends. That's what gives it energy. That's where the passion comes from. That's where the adventure starts in offering your life to Jesus. Let me tell you the most dangerous prayer you can pray. You ready? It's two words. Use me. I wouldn't pray it. If you don't have your boots all strapped on, you get your helmet on, snap it tight. You, 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 get, you get all dressed up. You get, all, you, get, you, you get locked and loaded. Then you pray, Lord, use me. <laughs> as it turns out this is in the Bible the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for someone whose heart is devoted to him useful in his hands and you have, you have some character in Muncie, Indiana going use me God and God goes you got it because God doesn't have a surplus that's why we need to pray the Lord of the harvest, that he sends more workers in. So, so you can step out in faith. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, he said, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, He just volunteered. Here I am. Send me. Use me. 
I was sober not long ago when I listened to Bill Hybels. Bill Hybels is a leading Christian pastor here in the United States in our generation, one of the real significant Christian leaders in our day, written some landmark books and so forth. He's a great influence in the church. And he was sitting in a conference, lots of people in the room, sitting in a panel, and someone asked him this question. Watch this. He said, what is the greatest disappointment in your, in your ministry? Greatest disappointment. It's an interesting question, right? The guy's been in ministry almost 40 years. What's the most biggest disappointment? And he qualified his answer. He said, before I give the answer, I want to tell you that I think I understand why the answer I'm about to give you is true. He said, it's because people get busy, people get distracted, life happens, life is hard, folks spend all their time and energy just trying to make it. And, and therefore, I think this is why what I'm about to say is true. So he said, the biggest disappointment in my ministry is that Christians don't seem to care about the lost. Christians don't seem to care about lost people. So let me ask you again, what have you done in your life that's going to last? Outlast you. What have you done in your life? What do you want to do with your life that will outlast you? Just go ahead and pray that dangerous prayer. Lord, use me. Lord, use me. Here's number four. Last one. Go where you can now. Go where you can now. There was a guy who was all messed up. He was demonized. I mean, he was a mess. You, you define a mess. This boy... You, you look at mess in the dictionary, this guy's picture's right there. He's a mess. And Jesus set him free. And this guy was so happy to be free, he said to Jesus, listen, thank you so much. I, you don't know how horrible it was to be in bondage. And you've liberated me. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, hold it. This is what Jesus said. This is, this is in Luke's, Luke's gospel. Uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 39. Jesus said, you go back home. And you tell people how much God has done for you. So the guy went back home and told everybody in town about what he had done. And that's exactly what you can do. Everybody can do this. Go where I am right now. This is, this is to your campus. This is to your school. This is to your business. This is to your neighborhood. These are the places where you go. And there you can offer the hope of Christ and invite people to join the family. Last verse is at the bottom of your outline. Look at it with me. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. It says, work at it. Work at bringing others to Christ. Work at it. Why? Why should we? Because people who join the family have their past sins forgiven. People who join the family get a purpose for life. And people who join the family get a home in heaven. And friends, that really matters. And may we give our lives to things that really matter. Amen? All right, let's pause and pray about this just for a moment. Let's bow your heads with me. Lord, it seems like what we've talked about this weekend is really the subject dearest to your heart. You want people in your family. And you know everything about us. And you want us to know you. It's the reason you created the universe. It's the reason you sent your son to die for us. 
It's the reason you never made anyone that you don't love. You never made anybody that you didn't have a plan and purpose for. So these two things, Lord, we pray first that you would keep us from being distracted by things that really don't matter, that we wouldn't waste our lives on stuff that isn't going to last. And second, Lord, give us the faith, give us the courage to pray this most dangerous prayer in the world. Lord, use me. Wow. Now, friend, could I encourage you? You talk to God today. It really doesn't matter how you say it, but what matters is that you're honest and sincere with him. Maybe you're in the room today and you don't even know if there is a God. Maybe your prayer is, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Now, friend, if you pray that, he, he will. God never turns down a genuine seeker. So just say, dear God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. I want to know you. And if you really do love me, I want to learn how to love you back. So help me today to take that first step, the step of openness. Open my mind, open my heart to the idea of you. So the best I understand what I'm doing in this moment, I pray this sincerely, Lord. Reveal yourself to me. And now, Lord, empower us all. Inspire us all. Encourage us all. Embolden us all. As you call us to be sent to the personal spheres of influence, to the local community, and indeed to the world. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us now as we sing?